This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Welcome to the show and happy Friday. Yes. It is 18 days until the election. Woo, 18 days. Oh, my God. That, I think you might have to stop doing the countdown thing because you are really making me, like, nervous here. But I'm excited it's Friday. It's been a good week. Yeah. And the madness yeah. of last night's town halls were crazy. Yep, we're going to be getting into that with the Washington Post in just a bit on the show. But we've also got a special guest, comedian Orlando Jones is joining us today. Oh, I love him. And it was like literally a childhood dream to one, sit down and chat with him in the way that we did. And he was so honest and so real. I mean, it's incredible. You've known him forever. I've known him for a few years. So it was really cool to have him on this show and to see how much he's evolved. I mean, he's been through a lot. You know, he got kicked off American Gods uh, on Stars. Or was it earlier this year? Yeah, it last was, year. It was, I can't even keep I up. I think it was at the tail end of last year, earlier yeah. this year. It was all kind of happening recently. It was a very controversial. He'll be getting into that w- during our interview. And everything's also on our site as a podcast. We are channelq.com. FYI, when you listen. Okay, but let's get into some what's trending this hour. Because as you mentioned, the town halls were last night. And according to early Nielsen ratings, ABC's October 15 town hall featuring Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden had nearly 1 million more viewers than NBC's simultaneous town hall featuring President Trump. However, the early figures may paint a bit of an incomplete picture, according to the Washington Post, because they didn't include streaming and out-of-home viewing results. So that's what we know right now, though. And during the debates, Joe Biden was asked by a mother of a transgender child about what he will do to protect LGBTQ plus rights. I will flat out just change the law, Every, eliminate those executive orders, number one year old child or a 10 year old child decides, you know, I decided I want to be transgender. That's what I think I'd like to be. It may make my life a lot easier. There should be zero discrimination. And what's happening is too many transgender women of color are being murdered. On the other hand, uh, well, President Trump wasn't really asked about this, but he was asked about QAnon. I know nothing about it. I do know they are very much against uh, pedophilia. They fight it very hard, but I know nothing about they believe it. it is if a you'd like me to run by the deep study state. the subject, I'll tell you what I do know about. I know about Antifa and I know about the radical left and I know how violent they are. And how- Oh, brother, of course he's not denouncing it at all. Of course he's not willing to do that. It's not shocking. 
Yeah, it was really awkward. Yeah, for but sure. anyway, we're going to be bringing you more, as I mentioned, about what went down with The Washington Post next. So uh, hang out with us for that. Now, President Trump also claimed in a tweet today that Biden, quote, freely used the term super predator. Uh, that is not true, though. Biden warned of predators on our streets in a 1993 speech on crime, but according to CNN, did not use the term super predator. Now, this has been a trope narrative that has been used by the Trump administration um, during this election cycle, but it seems like that is not the case. So it's so interesting because I feel like they should get rid of debates altogether at this point and continue to do these town halls. Because I think we were able to see, unfortunately, I would have loved for it to be one big town hall versus two separate town halls. But when there is, you know, town halls involving the American people asking questions, this is Trump's worst nightmare. And I feel like yeah. this really shows him on his bad side. And also, you know, Savannah Gunther needs to moderate every single uh, debate moving forward because she was, she was pressing good. him on what needed to be pressed on. And I think Joe Biden showed the, uh, you know, a completely different tone and exactly what the American people needed to hear, even though there were some moments that people fact-checked him as well. And we're going to do that as well. Well, yes, yeah, so we'll be diving more into that on the show today. Lots going on, but what's happening in entertainment news right now, Ryan? Okay, so let's talk about the T-Report, those pop culture stories that are trending right now. And uh, Diddy, he huh. just came out and he's speaking about launching a political party to get Trump out and improve quality of life for black folks. So basically he's trying to enact change. He took to Twitter this morning to share his new project, a political party intended to get President Trump out of the White House, right? Well, the number one uh, priority is to get Trump out of the White House. He has to go, he wrote in a caption. So I'm launching one of the boldest things I've ever launched. I'm launching a black political party with some young black elected officials and activists. It's called at our black party. It doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat. Um, actually, that does matter. Um, instead, he said, uh, he explained that our black party aims to form a platform that will help advance a political agenda that addresses the needs of black people. So going forth, we aren't in the same position we are in today. And of course, he ended by saying, we need to get Joe Biden in and hold him accountable. As black people, we aren't even a, a topic of real discussion. It's time we unify. And okay. Yeah. There's, there's so many things. Well, one, good on him. This seems like an organization. Like, is it a nonprofit? Is it a super PAC? Obviously, they're wanting to get Joe Biden in, so they're not necessarily a political party running right now. This is where it can get a bit confusing, right? Uh, it's a bit late. I wish maybe he had decided on this brilliant idea maybe a few months ago. That would have been awesome. Uh, and yeah, I, I think this is needed, but once again, the explanation is a bit confusing. It's not needed. It's not needed at all. And no one asked no. him to do that. He and just like Ice Cube are black men that keep be putting on these pedestals that they can like handle and they're speaking for the black community when they don't even like talk or even recognize some of the harmful things that they've done when it comes to intersectionality oh, okay. in this community. I see that. So I um I, so I think a, it's a good so, idea, but yeah. it's not but not them. But not them as the lead. I'm just it. tired of like Joe Biden and all of them like, you know, trying to talk to like Diddy or Ice Cube like they're the ones who are going to change the black vote when black people don't even care about them. Well, that's good to know. I won't be uh, following Diddy or Ice Cube's lead anytime soon. I mean, you're white. <laughs> I'm going to take them off my Spotify playlist. Oh, God. That's your T-Report, y'all. We got to get out of here because it's more <laughs> yeah. show coming up.
Well, yeah, we do. Last night was the dueling presidential town halls and find out who we think came out as the victor next in two minutes. The dueling town halls happened last night. President Trump on NBC, Joe Biden, the Democratic nominee on ABC, and it continues the craziness of this election season, that's for sure. Here to help us fact check the both of them is Dave Weigel from The Washington Post. Thanks again for being here. Oh, it's good to be here. Thank so you. first, what did you think the difference the differences were between the two? There weren't surprising differences. Uh, and if you've watched other Biden town halls, this one got higher ratings because of can canceling and replacing yeah. the debate on Trump's orders. Uh, if you watch, this is generally how he is. He's reined in some of his more loose tendencies. And also one thing that's just changed in the atmosphere for him is that when he was being asked about his record from the left at every debate, every town hall, he would get defensive and he, he'd sometimes go run on. Uh, when he's talking about his policies versus Trump's, he's, he's pretty comfortable. And he's still comfortable, you know, the press, and I'm in the press, but is obsessed with getting an answer on whether he supports expanding the size of the Supreme Court. And he continued to have this sort of uh i'll have to wait and see how the current crisis is handled before i have a position answer i haven't seen much evidence that people have a problem with that voters not reporters uh so it was interesting he kept doing that and, the, and on the rest of his policy it was funny when people had to fact check it the next day or the, that evening i should say it was stuff like he was against he mentioned his opposition to one uh one crime bill, whether it was a mistake, and he was referring to an older one than the one we always talk about because he's been there forever. Poor exactly. Him. So, uh, Dave, you mentioned so many things. We have some of those clips right now, but let's uh, start playing this. This was uh, Savannah Guthrie was asking Trump about when his last negative coronavirus test was during the NBC <laughs> town hall. Here's how he answered. When was your last negative test? When did you last remember having a negative test? Well, I test quite a bit, and I can tell you that before the debate, which I thought it was a very good debate, and I felt fantastically. I, I was, I had no problem before. Did you test the day afterwards. of the debate? Uh, I don't know. I don't even remember. I test all the time. But I, I can tell you this, uh, after the debate, like, I guess a day or so, I think it was Thursday evening, maybe even late Thursday evening, uh, I tested positive. That's when I first found out. Well, about back it. to the debate, because the debate commission's rules, it was the honor system. I mean, how hard is it to know when you got it? Like, it just seems like there's no direct response ever. Yeah, I, honestly, with this president, we know more about his psychology than it's probably helpful to, to know about a president, or probably healthy, I guess, for us to know. I mean, this is, uh, his attitude is that he is very defensive about his health. Uh, he really despises weakness. He despises sickness. And he's, this is, I think he's the only man on the planet who feels this way, but he's resisted uh, talking about his own illness, unless he can talk about it in extremely, extremely masculine ways, like how he beat the virus. There was actually, if you if you clicked on his website this week, the campaign website, for a day you got a splash video that was him as a boxer knocking the knocking the coronavirus so strange in the, in the corner. So he does that all the time, and the, the Biden response, uh, not even a response, is the way Biden has operated is hyper transparency and hyper caution. And it is weird to watch that the president has seen how this is failing for him politically and just keeps going after it. Yeah. But, you know, he was he had his mindset and his and his ego before he ran for president. He hasn't changed. True. Dave Weigel, again, is with us from The Washington Post as we dive into the town halls uh, last night. What was fact? What was fiction? What even went down? Um, I think the biggest debate that really probably took place was the one with Trump against Savannah. How do you think she handled it as a moderator? What are you seeing people talking about online when it came to that? Because I guess people were tuning in to see that drama. 
Uh, well, and it was drama again created by the president because the, the day before he had uh, he'd gotten the crowd to boo, not just NBC generically, but but her specifically. And she's not somebody. Look, there are, there are TV hosts uh, who are known for at the end of the show or maybe the entire show looking at the camera and being very serious and being a little bit pompous. And Savannah Guthrie has never been one of them. Uh, so she was she was very tough. She was in, uh, she was doing what I think has always been effective with Trump, where you don't just have to pretend, well, that's the answer he's going to give. I'm going to do the next question. Uh, she was better yeah. at digging in for, for details, details about the, the, the mask. And he, he, gets he gets very defensive when he's pushed, which makes you wonder why more people don't do it. I mean, I thought she, she did a good job. It was just um, depressing that this was two, two town hall forums instead of one town hall debate. Because I think yeah. him with people and a different in, in interlocutor who wasn't interrupting him might have actually been um, better for him than what he had last night. Yeah, so it seems like a lot of things coming out in the fact-checking um, were things that he's said and he continues to say, which is surprising, that his team wouldn't be like, don't say that. That does not work for you. So let's go through some of those things. You mentioned the mask, him saying how a statement came out from the CDC that 85% of people who wear masks catch it. Uh, yeah. She called him out on that, as well as the statement, we were expected to lose 2.2 million people, maybe more. We're at 210,000 people. It's a good job. <laughs> Uh, no, a absolutely. And he, he, he is a very boosterish about what's been a very terrible record. And every time he gets into this fight, it's bad for him. It's happened in the debate too. Remember the, the initial Trump response to the debate was that because he was more loud and aggressive than Biden, that he, he probably won. And it actually, it's not been good because the substance is reminding people that they really don't like the way he's handled the pandemic. I mean, the, the pattern of this campaign, you even saw it this week, right? This wasn't really a, a hot topic of the debates, but or at the town halls, geez, <laughs> the town halls we had instead of debates. But uh, the Trump campaign really promoted this uh, New York Post story based on what appeared to be hacked emails from Hunter Biden um, that it is very hard to find people caring about it. It's very hard to decipher why these matter. I mean, it was at most finding yeah. that Joe Biden was introduced to a guy once. And the, the Trump response to everything has been that coronavirus is, is a slog and it's boring and he's tired of dealing with it. So what's... Yeah. What's the new controversy that can captivate people and get them distracted? Exactly. Uh, really unsuccessful because everyone's really worried about the coronavirus. That's true. Dave Weigel, thanks again for being with us. I don't even know what yeah. we learned, but this is uh, <laughs> continues to be crazy. We appreciate it. No, happy to do it. I'll be here. Thanks, guys. <laughs> again, Dave Weigel is from the Washington Post. With the election right around the corner, we break down your voting rights and what you can do if your boss won't let you leave to vote. That's in two minutes. Amazon employees are signing an internal petition calling on the company to give workers time off to vote. The petition urges Amazon to provide its entire U.S. workforce with paid time off to vote on or before Election Day. So this brings up the question, what rights do you have in regards to voting and working Election Day? How do you make it work? Well, joining us is Emily Ebby, staff attorney from Texas Civil Rights Project. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Okay, let's get into this because every state is different. Every company is different. So what rights do people have right now? Uh, not enough is always my answer. Uh, in Texas, they give. Uh, there's a law that says employers have to give you two hours off to vote um, on election day. Uh, and you're supposed to get paid for those hours at the rate that you would have been paid if you were at work. But as with every law in Texas, and honestly, most voting laws in the United States, there are way too many hoops to jump through. It is so confusing. 
Uh, like for instance, uh, this Texas law says that you can get those two paid hours off. Awesome. But if you have two consecutive hours off between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., you can't get that time off. You have to use those to vote. And you hmm. can only do this at one job. So if I have two jobs and I work one 7 a.m. to noon and the other noon to 7 p.m., I still technically have two consecutive hours off. The people who write these laws do not take into the account what it looks like to work a real job. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. that's true. I mean, it's so crazy because I feel like, a no well, actually, according to reports, a number of U.S companies have given their employees time off to vote, including Facebook, Apple, Uber, even Walmart. Uh, but Amazon, which is the second largest private employer in the U.S., hasn't done that yet. And that's why there's all these petitions happening. Um, what What's happening here? How are they supposed to fight Amazon, which is a huge company? Yeah, well, maybe Jeff Bezos just can't afford to give those people time. I know. Okay. He's, he's really having a hard time. I'm <laughs> At the end of the day, this is about workers' power, right? Like, mm -hmm. Jeff Bezos doesn't let his workers off to vote because if they get more power, then they're going to vote for people who are going to put a tax on him. Um, and and I, I think, you know, you can you can say it's, you know, oh, it's productivity, oh, it's workforce. But at the end of the day, it's about preserving power at the top, uh, which so which all voter suppression is. Uh, it's just keeping things the way they are. Um, and, and these companies that, that are allowing people to have time off are great, but we have to hold them accountable to pro-democracy policies all year. Um, and I think Amazon is doing neither. So no cookies for them. Yeah. Again, you're hearing from Emily Abbey, who's a staff attorney at the Texas Civil Rights Project as we get into uh, voting and what rights you have when you're working and how do you make it happen on election day? And it just seems like the U.S. has so much work to do when it comes to this. If you look at around the world, um, it, it seems like there's an alignment. I mean, there's some play, uh, countries where they will actually get a ticket if they don't vote or it is a national holiday. So why is it taking so long for the U.S. to catch up? In America, we have this dumb idea that democracy is like incumbent upon the people to go out and get it. And you have to jump through infinite numbers of hoops to get to the vote yourself. And so that makes it really easy for people to put up hoops. And then, you know, maybe I can overcome five or six things, but on that seventh thing, I just don't have time. I have a life, I have kids, I have a job to do. Um, and, and there are places where they, like you said, they find people for uh, for not voting, which I'm, you know, fines are always a little uh, discriminatory at the end of the day. But there are places where they do voting, like the census, where they they bring democracy to you. They come to your house and find you where you are. Um, Texas has early voting, uh, and you know, I'm used to Texas just being the worst about voting in every aspect. I was shocked to find out that a lot of states don't even have early voting. So if I, you know, if I'm working all day on election day. I can still vote early and, and take off, but there are lots of places that you can't do that either. Democracy shouldn't be incumbent upon the people. It's the government's job to bring this to us and to make it something that we can all access so that our government actually represents us. Oh my God, yes. I, I, I One, I love you. Um, you're so <laughs> yeah. passionate about what you do, especially in Texas. And we know there's so many long lines that are happening, which can equal in a lot of times to voter suppression. Do you mm -hmm. think this could be another form of that? Oh, absolutely. And I think voter suppression is always like, we think of like, uh, you know, these these horrible literacy tests that they had in the 60s, like real vintage voter suppression. But voter suppression can just be the line is too long and I don't have time. I'm working all day and I don't have time. Um, there are places in Texas. I don't know how it is nationwide, but in Texas, there are places where you can only vote in your precinct. So you can't yeah. like 
on your way home, you can't vote. We've seen a lot of places in Texas pass countywide polling so you can vote anywhere. But voter suppression can also just be like, how am I supposed to find out this information if I'm living a regular life and not entrenched in Twitter day to day, which I would recommend everybody not be entrenched in Twitter day to day. Emily, as we wrap things up, like, are there any options if someone, you know, isn't getting the day off, um, if their employer is not being easy about this, like what options do they have so that they can make their voice heard this election season? Absolutely. I would check in with your state laws uh, on mail-in voting, see if you can vote by mail, your state laws on early voting. Um, I would also, no matter where you are in the United States, you can call 866-OUR-VOTE. That's a hotline run by me and other lawyers like me who care a lot about this for a day job um, and are putting in the long hours to answer these questions. No question is too small. If you need help making a voting plan or or, or reaching out to your employer, please call 866-OUR-VOTE. We would love to help. Oh, amazing. Well, Emily, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. That was Emily Ebby, staff attorney at the Texas Civil Rights Project. Now, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie is coming out and speaking out for the first time since he got the coronavirus. What he had to say next. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie is speaking out about his experience with the coronavirus. He did an exclusive interview with ABC News and George Stephanopoulos for the first time since he tested positive for coronavirus. And he had a lot to say. Hmm. It's a mistake. You know, I I was led to believe um, that, you know, all the people that I was interacting with at the White House had been tested and it gave you a false sense of security. And it was a mistake. Um, You know, I'd been so careful, George, for seven months because of my asthma, wearing masks, washing my hands, social distancing. And for seven months, um, I I was able to avoid the virus in one of the worst hit states um, in the country, in New Jersey. Um, But I let my guard down. Wow. I mean, I think this is important because I feel like we haven't seen anyone who was part of that big super spreader event with Trump, like speak out about this in a way that felt like, one, they were taking it seriously and that they were regretful and remorseful yeah i think um it's unfortunate that it gets to a point where people have to get it and end up in icu or some like some feeling so terrible in their body that they have an understanding being like this is not a game right and it sucks that he has to go there um because he was one of the ones um who was a trump surrogate who is a republican who was at some point you know downplaying it unfortunately and it is it's a shame that he had to go through that but i'm happy that he understands that maybe we should start listening to science maybe he'll actually start being one of those republicans that will speak up for what's right i don't know maybe yeah i mean you mentioned he spent seven days in the icu that's a lot he said though he was taking the mask thing seriously for himself because uh he does have asthma uh, but it wasn't like it was something as a governor he was pushing his states to implement as much but here he is talking about the whole mask situation last night that he has no problem with masks i think we should be even more affirmative about it um that's why i put out the statement i did we need to be telling people that there is no downside to you wearing masks. And in fact, there can be a great deal of upside. And I think if we all do that, that's one of the things we can contribute as Americans. And I think we need to be honest with the American people. So perhaps other Republican governors and politicians will see this and say, yes, we need to be following these guidelines. He does say, on the other hand, that he thinks that states should be opening, though. He said that you know businesses need to go back 
to normal, we need to start opening. We need to find the balance between the shutdowns, <laughs> which I, I would say this the balance between precautions and shutdowns as long as we follow the guidelines. Sure, that's a joke because people aren't doing that though, and 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 people are still we're still seeing upticks of coronavirus cases happening in this country to, right now. So it's like we're trying to slowly up like reopen, but it's still not you know doing what it needs to do so we can get fully over this pandemic, unfortunately. And so him saying that he understands in one breath, but then it's still again still saying that he wants things to reopen and he thinks people should get back to normal. It's just like. It's hypocrisy. It doesn't make sense. The math isn't mathing, as the kids say. Well, the, once again, I think if we just had a federal law and guidelines that were across the country, this whole thing of like relying on every state to do their own thing, it creates the those inconsistencies that we're seeing right now. And then it makes us more divided because some of the country thinks this, some of the country thinks that, and everyone's on different pages. So, I mean, I, I would say while it still feels like he's not pushing the way we want him to push, I feel like he's He's like the only Republican at this point that I've heard who's actually seems like he has his head on his shoulders right now at this point right now. I don't want to. I'm wanna never going to hold my like, breath. I'm, I mean, I'm including never for going Chris to. Christie, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Now coming up, we've got what's trending this hour and a new study that talks about how poor America really is. The crazy statistic coming up next. Coming up on the show, we've got comedian Orlando Jones joining us. You know him, of course, from Mad TV, American Gods, and he definitely just shared everything. He does not hold back. Well, yeah, and the good thing is he's not someone who will ever, you know, sugarcoat things, right? Oh, yeah. He is someone that's going to keep it 100% real, and we dive in on a lot of things, especially about race and him raising a black woman. Yes. Uh, His so daughter. Yeah, stay tuned for that conversation in just a bit right here on Let's Go There. But let's get into some what's trending this hour. President Trump appeared in Fort Myers, Florida today to speak to seniors. Here's what he had to say. We love our senior citizens, and I'm honored to be here in Fort Myers to reaffirm my solemn pledge to America's seniors. It's so important to me. I happen to be a senior. I will protect you, I will defend you, and I will fight for you with every ounce of energy and conviction that I have. That's very convincing. Um, I'm sure seniors would have loved to hear that, though, as uh, he continued to reference them and say, it is what it is, as they are the most vulnerable when it comes to COVID-19. And we'll see if they show up to vote for him very soon. Yeah, they're not. And if they are, they're like literally hypnotized by the whole MAGA thing. And, you know, they're just going to risk their lives regardless for him because it's literally a cult, in my opinion. Uh, well, earlier today, New York Times reported that the Trump administration rejected a request for aid from California for its devastating wildfires, a rare refusal for disasters on that scale. Then hours later, Governor Gavin Newsom tweets this, just got off the phone with Donald Trump, who has approved our major disaster declaration request, grateful for his quick response. I mean, we're seeing this a lot, by the way, right? We're seeing decisions being made by the quote unquote Trump administration. Then it gets out there. It's under fire, hugely controversial. Everyone is calling him out and dragging him. And then literally within hours, he's going against what he decided on, which I appreciate at the same time. It's like, why didn't you just make that decision from the beginning? It's very confusing. I'm happy somebody appreciates it. 
Well, at least something's being done, but yeah, get it together. Now, Fox News noted this. Two of the questioners at the ABC Town Hall, featuring Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden yesterday, had ties to high-profile Democrats, including one questioner who previously worked as a speechwriter in the Obama administration, Nathan Osborne. Osborne specifically worked for the Office of Public Affairs at the Commerce Department under the Obama-Biden administration and at the Small Business Administration. Which is like, if you're going to at least do this, say it, because someone's going to figure it out. And of course, Fox News is running with this story. Uh, The Democrat-tied questioners at the ABC Town Hall follow other controversy earlier this month surrounding a Biden town hall held on NBC. The Washington Free Beacon reported on October 6th that two attendees who were identified as undecided voters at an NBC town hall with Biden had previously been shown on MSNBC as Biden supporters. Oh, are you serious? Okay. Yeah, that's a bit of a gaffe. Wow. Uh, And then when reached for comment about the participants with Democratic ties, Fox News did. Uh, ABC News directed Fox News to comments made by Stephanopoulos at the beginning of the event. He was the moderator. He said, and they're a group of some are voting for Biden. Some have said they're voting for Trump. Some are still undecided. And we're going to try to take questions from as many as we can tonight. Oh, my God. Yeah, of course, Fox News is, you know, Fox News loves drama. They love to try to stir totally. the pot. But I feel like as someone, you know, who, we, you know where we all stand here. We, we're not Fox News viewers, but I think this was a, an easy mistake. An easy thing they could have done to change this. Like, this was a stupid mistake, to be honest. It was. All they could have just said is, hey, they have ties. Or Biden, like, what, Biden's never seen this guy before? Maybe he hasn't. I don't know. There's a lot of people that work there. Yeah. And then also, I feel like Biden meets com- so many different people. All these people meet so many different people, especially while you're running for yeah. president. It doesn't really matter, to be quite honest. And so I think the 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 guy that was a speechwriter, something should have been said. He happened to be yeah. a speechwriter. He's here. But yeah. it's not surprising, you know, to get to these things, you know, you have you have ties to the to Democrats. You might be an influencer. You might be someone connected um, to the producers that they know you have a good question. So and they're vetting these people as well. They need to figure it out so it doesn't happen. It's not that hard. Your producers, high profile networks. Now, America is getting poorer as federal pandemic aid from the spring dries up. Eight million Americans have slipped into poverty. That's according to researchers at Columbia University. So that's some what's trending this hour, uh, but what's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so Justin Bieber is pissed and we're diving in at the T-Report, so get ready. So Justin Bieber is calling out his fans, like he literally snapped at his fans because some of them decided to literally camp out um, outside of his New York City home. It's so weird. He ended up having to snap a photo on putting it on Instagram saying, this is not a hotel, it is my home. He said, how do you convince yourself it's not uh, completely inappropriate and disrespectful to wait outside my home to gawk, stare, and take pictures as I walk into my apartment? Is he being dramatic, Shira, or is this weird? I mean, it is disrespectful and maybe inappropriate, but is it surprising that you're one of the biggest stars and they find out where you live, you know? Well, he has a reason. He has a reason to be paranoid because people have been loitering outside uh, his home that he shares with uh, Haley. And he's had a number of individuals make their way onto the property. And of course, back in 2012, two men covered in in detail by the Atlantic tried to. like literally kind of castrate the singer with garden shears. Okay, So there's weird. been some dangerous things. So I understand why he's upset. Yeah, so I, I get the paranoia there. Uh, something, there should be just like this etiquette, right? Between fan and star. 
Like, I let's agree. just have a good relationship. Let's just figure this out, okay? Yeah, but what do y'all think? Hit us up at LGT Show, and honey, that is your tea report until next hour. Okay, coming up, you know him from Mad TV and Stars American Gods. Orlando Jones joins us next in two minutes. I'm so excited for our next guest. He's a friend. He might not admit that, but I am. I don't know. He's a comedian. <laughs> you know him, of course, from Mad TV. Orlando Jones is joining us on Let's Go There. What's going what? on? What's up? Oh <laughs> What's happening, Ryan? What's happening, Shira? Welcome you to know, the show. Yeah, we're excited to have you. It's been a while. Uh, I feel like last time I've seen you in person was like at Comic-Con or something. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yep, I guess, yes, the last Comic-Con, not the one that didn't happen just now, just recently in 2020. But you're still busy. Didn't you like partake in like a virtual Comic-Con or something? You know, I didn't. I've been really busy on the animation side and, you know, and then obviously press for Good Lord Bird and all that sort of stuff. So it's been a little crazy, but all good. Okay, but before we get into this, I said I had an Orlando Jones story that I needed to say. So oh, no, What? No, not like a moment moment with you, but just a piece of history, because you are obviously someone who I have followed my entire, just my life, I guess I would say, just because I'm a fan of your work and Drumline was like literally one of my top five movies of all time. And so the story is I found out about like one, I was getting Drumline, the movie, like Mm -hmm. the DVD during Christmas. And that was like the correlation of me finding out that Santa Claus wasn't real because my mom had hid in the closet and I found out and it all happened at once where I was like, oh my God, I'm super excited about Drumline. Line, wow. which I immediately like opened and like watched it at midnight and then I snuck and put it back in so my mom didn't know that I had reopened <laughs> all the presents. <laughs> so like that's my Orlando. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. You <laughs> snuck into the Christmas presents. I for sure did. I, that was that's like, a, uh, that was, I mean, I remember that Christmas because that was like obviously the Christmas where oh. I got a lot of amazing stuff, but then also I got that and then I also I found out that Santa the class wasn't real so mm-hmm. so basically that, uh, <laughs> a, a moment of trauma for him is connected to you yes <laughs> yes how beautiful 360 moment <laughs> so orlando you've obviously been busy in quarantine what's life been like for you i know you're not in hollywood you're not like in la or new york no i live in north carolina so my, my life hasn't changed a lot i'm still, still pretty much uh, hanging out with my girls or at home that, that's it for me that's the south to be quite honest i feel like that's just if you were because i'm from the south and all honesty like mm-hmm. I think if you're just moving along, you're just keeping it going. Like you're not into the whole hoopla of everything, right? Definitely not. I'm, I'm you know, listen. Uh, I spend my days happily playing my three-year-old Paloma and I. You know, we got a whole unicorn, unicorn boy. We got unicorn, unicorn girl. One yes. blue, one's pink. You know what I mean? We got a lot of stuff going on. We got a lot of toys we're playing with right now. We got a lot of fantasy games that are going on. So you know, between that and uh, my oldest Raquel, who's ten, and subtracting in the thousands and hanging out and you know I've that's the joy of my life <laughs> it's it's pretty awesome so I kind of do that and then when they go to sleep you know I, I go to work uh, as it were so it's uh it's fun for me but it hasn't changed a lot aside from dealing with you know the the homeschool components at all but I, I actually I kind of embrace that I don't know I feel like we got taught some bull when we were kids like they didn't tell us <laughs> I mean, I heard math has changed. I have heard that math has changed, and there's just no way. The way they teach it now is just stupid. It don't even make no damn sense. It's like, Uh, what are you doing? Like, really? Orlando, so are you are you homeschooling right now? You're the teacher. Well, for my well, my daughter needs help, of course. Yeah, absolutely. 
But, I, you know, for me, it's just like the stupid ways in which, you, you know, you don't need seven steps to do something on certain things. It's like they've made it, they've kind of dumbed it down to make it like for kids that don't really get it or something. It's very strange. But it's also just like the story of Columbus and all those other components. I mean, frankly, if, you know, my daughter's a young black girl and she's looking at the education system, it pretty much tells her she's worthless and hasn't contributed anything to society. But here is all these people that did. And that's not even true. So, you know, for me, it's an opportunity to talk to my daughter about, you know, the Omax, who developed this land 1,500 years b- uh, before Columbus even showed up. The Omax were black. So, and the Aztecs came after them. So this entire insane narrative that we all came over here on a slave ship and we were here 1,500 years before is a little weird. But again, I think it's just important for her to understand you know, what her footprint is in history. And I'm embracing homeschooling on that level because I feel like if circumstances don't force you to do certain things, then you rely on the system to do them. And and subsequently, I think you wind up with more of the same. So, you know, yeah, that's, be, that's mm-hmm. interesting, right? I think obviously we're living in a moment that has obviously been highly polarizing and highly political. And I, I have been wondering, especially because quarantine is also the the weird little puzzle piece that we weren't expecting to fit and mm-hmm. kind of connect everything. How has that been when it comes to you? having these conversations with your daughter who is a black woman and especially after you know seeing the news probably or hearing her friends talk about Breonna Taylor yeah I, th- I guess it's beneficial to tell her the hi- the true history but is that do you see it really affecting her like what she sees happening in the media and the conversations that are going especially living in the south uh, I, I, look I think I think yes and no yeah I, I think she's got a lot of stuff on her plate going on right now right and I think that she's taking all of it in you know it's always hard for me to qualify on some level just because I feel like we're in a different time. Technology has given us access to information that and, and events that have always been going on. Yeah. Now we know about them. And I think there's a lot to be said for how you look at those circumstances. And I think a lot to be said for how you choose to live your life moving forward, like where you place value and where you don't. And so I think I'm, I'm really focused on teaching her how not to make things that are not her problems her problem and how to maintain a joyful positive outlook on life by utilizing the tools that she has like she has a lot of tremendous tools that she was given so she can choose to focus on those things or she can choose to focus on these other things but i think that she will be more successful in her life and have a more joyful life is she focuses on how to use the gifts she does have to create the world she wants to see rather than the alternatives. Now don't go anywhere because when we return, Orlando tells us a story about how he became a deputy sheriff to prove a point. That's next in two minutes. We are back with Mad TV and American God star Orlando Jones. Now, Orlando, you are very vocal about the police system. So what are your thoughts on the defund the police movement? So, uh, you know, I grew up in the deep south, you know, so, and I had a lot of crazy experiences as a kid, you know, I've talked about some of them in the past, but you know, I've had a cross burned in my front yard before. I know what that looks like. I know what that feels like. And you know, uh, I've been pulled by cops many times by the same, you know, with all guns drawn, telling me step by step how to move or they're gonna blow my brains out. So and that's, you know, I've had that experience a, a number of times. That's not a, 
it's not a fun experience, but I know what that feels like. And, and I say all that to say, um, I've also had great experiences with cops as well, so much so that I'm a deputy sheriff. I did a movie in Shreveport thriller called Beyond a Reasonable Doubt. And then right after that, I went to New Orleans to do a film called Cirque du Freak. And then right after that, I went to a little town called Hamilton right outside of Baton Rouge mm -hmm. to do a film called Seconds Apart. And during that period of time, I, you know, a lot of cops on set because we shut down this street, that street, you know, films are about exteriors generally. And we were arguing back and forth about how hard their job was or wasn't. And I took a bet that said I could become a cop before I got out of Louisiana. So I did what I needed to do, took the test and I could already shoot and do that. I'm a Southern boy. And so before I left Louisiana, I became a deputy sheriff in Plaquemine County. Wow. And so has it changed what? your view on cops yeah. or defund the police? And I mean, I want to be clear. We're we, we talking about 2000. Right. I was wondering what the, the year was. 2003. I mean, I was, it's probably been true for about 10 years, almost nine years or something like that. I'm wrong. Yeah. About nine years, not 2003, yeah. about nine years. So, I mean, I don't, it doesn't change my view on humans which I think is a problem, if I'm being really honest. My view, my point in telling that story is to say that I've had a myriad of experiences from various different points of view in the, throughout the course of my life. And that doesn't change any of how the system views me. I'm still very accustomed to what it's like to walk into a room during my early days in Hollywood and have white women be afraid of me, you know, just because I'm a black dude. So I've, I've had all those experiences, but none of those experiences created uh, a person who has hate in his heart or who looks at white people and says, all oh, white people are bad and what the, that's not what happened out of those experiences. Those experiences just gave me a lot of information to take in, but they didn't inform any opinion that makes me think that, that this is all this set of people, this is all that set of people. But it did help me understand why this was repeatedly happening and help me understand that there's a system in place that makes that possible. And so I think for me, it's more important for me to point out to my daughter how to navigate the system, which ain't going nowhere, and how to be successful in navigating said system while maintaining who she is and maintaining her rights, no matter who it is. I don't give a if it's me or her mom, her rights are her rights, and they are not to be violated or summarily taken under any circumstances. She has the ability to advocate for herself. She should always stand up for herself, and she should unequivocally fear no one for any reason. So for me, it, it is about empowering her in the world to speak truth to power and to do the things in the world that she wants to do unapologetically, rather than cowering through the world as if these mother going to do something to my daughter. That's just, that's not how I want her to walk. That's not how I walked. My birth certificate says I'm colored. And it does not say I'm human. It says I'm sapient. Wow. Let's be really clear. I, I understand exactly what I mean when I say institutional racism. I have it in writing on my birth document that I'm not human. I'm a sapient. I understand what it fundamentally means to have a system devalue you as a human being. That's not new. Yeah. So I can't, what am I going to do? Yeah, but I, I do you know, wonder though, and I do wonder, especially with you being in Hollywood, and I think we're having so many interesting conversations about, you know, inclusivity again. and diversity, again. the same repetitive stuff, again. And which is really interesting. I just... I, I would love to know how your version of like storytelling and what you decide to be a part of kind of um, has changed over the course of your career. Like, has have you thought about it differently over the course? Like you said, you had full awareness of who you were in this country and what that meant for you. But now looking at where we are currently, has that changed? No, I mean, 
I was born in Mobile, Alabama. I grew up in the deep south. I've never been confused about what it was. I've been confused by lots of things on all sides of the coins, but I've never been confused about what it was for me. I've never been confused about the fact that though my situation, I might be looked at this way by white people, I also know that I'm going to be looked at this way at Jack and Jill by the light-skinned black folk. I know I didn't pass the paper bag test. So what, what version of bias was I going to get today, right? You know, it's not as if any of those experiences didn't happen to me. They did, right? Mm. So I, I, I just don't think that if, if I wanted to focus my life on those experiences, I guess I could. But I just think that that's a wasted, for me, my choice and being deliberate about your choices, I think is key. My choice is not to focus my life and live my life in that way, right? This I've been through so many diversity revolutions in Hollywood. I'm not under the illusion that any of this is real. I know what this is. I've seen this before many, many, many times. This is not real. So you don't think this time is different, Orlando? Like when you have the Oscars no, announcing not. new diversity inclusion rules for Best no, Picture I nominees, what are your, what's your take? No, none of this is real. So can it ever evolve? I mean, it needs to. I agree. It does need to, but there must be a system to dismantle the system. It's, you can't you you can't call it out and then say it, it, it's self-corrected. Really? <laughs> it doesn't self-correct. It's a system. So let's be honest about what it is. It is understood that if you work a job and a white man works a job, that you will make less for doing the same job. That's understood. That's not a secret. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows I'm going to make less and everybody knows a black woman's going to make less too. Everybody knows that black women at the bottom of the totem pole. Everybody. A black woman created Me Too. Nobody gave a f for years until some privileged white lady said that Me Too. And then suddenly it was a movement. Before then it wasn't a movement until some white lady said it was a movement. Suffrage went to white women, didn't go to black women. Get out of here. We inflict our trauma unwantingly at black women and at their offspring, these damn black men. So that that is the, just the truth of what it is. All right. We want to thank Orlando Jones so much for joining us again right here on the show. And uh, that was just a snippet of the interview. Listen to the entire conversation on our podcast. Go to the radio.com app and search. Let's go there. Yes. And coming up on the show, both Biden and Trump responded to black Americans at last night's town hall. But was it enough? That's next. In May, Biden infamously told Breakfast Club host Charlemagne the God, if you got a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. Well, those words have continued to haunt him as he's run for the White House. It was even brought up during Biden's town hall last night. Besides you ain't black, what do you have to say to young black voters who see voting for you as further participation in a system that continually fails to protect them? Well, I say, first of all, as my buddy John Lewis said, it's a sacred opportunity and right to vote. You can make a difference. If young black women and men vote, you can determine the outcome of this election. Not a joke. You can do that. And the next question is, am I worthy of your vote? Can I earn your vote? And the answer is, there's two things I think that I care, and I've demonstrated I care about my whole career. One is, in addition to dealing with a criminal justice system to make it fair, and make it more decent. We have to be able to put black Americans in a position to be able to gain wealth. And so what do you think about his response to that? Uh, I mean, he did say something that is important, accumulating wealth. But is that enough? Um, at the end of the day, I don't think no matter what he says, I still don't think he's going to sell um, young black American voters on him. I think people are just going to vote for him just because they need to and because mm -hmm. they want to get Trump out, not because they like him. Um, I, I don't really, I'm not really so that they too much care even about Kamala Harris, even though I am very excited about her. 
Um, but when we're talking about it, those are two candidates um, that, yeah, two candidates that people in the black younger community did not want, um, especially when it came to such a diverse group of people we saw as Demo- uh, running for Democratic presidential nominee. And so, yeah, I think at the end of the day, Joe Biden is going to get the votes. Um, but yeah. that doesn't mean that he's sold. And I think we need to be looking at this. If there are black young voters listening to this right now, we need to be looking at this about like getting Joe and Kamala into the White House, but then also making sure we hold them accountable on the things that we need them to do. And Definitely. I think that's what's important here. And I think we're seeing uh, Congress uh, that is being represented. Th- that's where we see the next generation of individuals who are really going to represent the younger black POC communities. And, uh, you know, in terms of what's happening right now, according to recent Democracy Fund polling, 83% of likely black voters favored former VP Joe Biden, 10% favored President Trump, 8% said they didn't know which candidate they will back. Uh, And recent morning consult polling found almost exactly the same thing. So it seems like it's heading in that direction, but who knows? Meanwhile, let's go to Trump and what he continued to say. The same narrative he always has. Uh, This is what he shared with Savannah Guthrie at his town hall. He said um, when asked how he planned to protect innocent black and Latino lives from racial injustice, he pulled out this. I have done more for the African-American community than any president since Abraham Lincoln. I have a great relationship with the African-American community. That's what Trump said. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Trump is so delusional. I mean, I know there's this funny clip. Uh, that we're not probably going to play, but there was a moment on Jimmy Kimmel where he asked actual black people would they vote for Trump, and everyone was like, hell no. That's one way (laughs) to to get a survey from people. I mean, you got to give it to Jimmy Kimmel. That was really hilarious and a great way to look at this current situation that we're all in. Okay, now coming up, we've got what's trending this hour. Don't go anywhere. Coming up on the show, why Trump ended the census early this year and what some organizations are doing to help. And why experts are saying that this 2020 uh, census will be the least accurate of uh, like all the censuses that's ever happened. Well, that's great considering they uh, create the budget based on that. Right? <laughs> okay, let's get into some what's trending this hour. President Trump had a rally in Ocala, Florida, where he was criticizing Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. This seems to be a thing he's doing a lot these days. But then he messed up the name of one of his most vocal fans in Congress, mixing up Representative Matt Gates's name with that of Rick Gates. People doing whatever, we'll find out what that was all about. And then she said, it was my fault. It was my people that caught them. It was Trump's fault. It's always Trump's fault. Can it ever be like a Rick Gates's fault? I mean, uh, it's always Trump's fault, Rick. By the way, how did the governor do? Did he get up and make a great speech? So, yeah, this flub is being shared everywhere today. Uh, The Florida Congressman Representative Matt Gates has been a strong supporter of President Trump since the 2016 GOP primary, even putting a quote of Trump on his Twitter profile saying he's a machine, handsome and going places. So it seems like they're buddies, but yet um, President Trump couldn't even say his name when referencing him and he was there in person. How about 
that for an awkward moment. Ah, uh, yeah. Very, very awkward. <laughs> but Rick Gates, by the way, does exist. He is a former Trump campaign aide who pled guilty in 2018 to making false statements to the FBI and conspiracy against the U.S. He later testified in court that he did commit a bunch of financial crimes with his former boss and the Trump campaign chairman, Paul Manafort. Also, may I add that the clip that you used, Shira, was from Sean King, so I can't see it because I'm blocked by him. That means you're special. Um, you're blocked, I guess. Well, you're still following him. Red flag. Red flag. It's for my work, okay? <laughs> yeah, now, he is, there's other activists that you can follow, by the way. I'm just putting that out there. Noted. Now, a new Wall Street Journal NBC News poll of registered voters shows Joe Biden leading President Trump 53% to 42% with the economy... It, which is the number one election issue among those surveyed. So basically, that's an 11-point lead over Trump. That's promising, although we know what the polls showed last time. So we got to keep doing the work. Everyone who's voting for Biden, don't just rely on those polls. No, please don't, because they uh, mean nothing in this country, in all honesty. Let's be real here. Seems like that. Well, Ryan, you know who we should uh, take notice of, possibly? Caroline Giuliani. The daughter of President Donald Trump's personal attorney and former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani, she's urging Americans to, quote, end this nightmare by voting for Democratic nominee Joe Biden and his running mate Kamala Harris. We need to produce, like, the daughters of political figures. Like, that needs to be an uh, amazing reality show. I'm telling that you, get Caroline, get uh, Kellyanne Conway's daughter. They yeah. will spill the tea. Yeah, and a piece for Vanity Fair published... Uh, yesterday, she called on voters to end Trump's reign of terror and elect a compassionate and decent president. Uh, she added, I may not be able to change my father's mind, but together we could vote this toxic administration out of office. So there you have it. That's some what's trending this hour. What's happening in, in entertainment news, Ryan? Ooh, um, <laughs> we, we got there. Um, yeah. but <laughs> okay, so let's dive into the tea report. It's those pop culture stories that are trending right now. So we're talking about Chadwick Boseman. He's in the news again um, because his widow has filed a case as the late Black Panther star died without a will. Um, her name is Taylor Simone Ledward. She filed the case on Thursday in Los Angeles and is requesting a judge to name her administrator of the estate with limited authority. I cannot believe that Chadwick uh, unfortunately passed without having a will because now she's trying to list his yeah. estate and it's really hard for her. I mean, there's this moment where people don't want to talk about death. And obviously, they probably knew it was coming soon, unfortunately. Yeah, surprising. But it still didn't, uh, they still didn't, you know, kind of get their things in order. That is really difficult considering she's grieving. And to add this to what she has to deal with is a lot. Which it, it's why to, you should focus on that part of your life, your death when you're alive because yeah. then it gets really complicated and messed up like this it gets so complicated it's so unfortunate and um i'm wishing the best for you know his family because i just i can't imagine remember aretha franklin she hid her will in her sofa like it was written no, on I a piece of this. Yes, girls. It was written on a piece of paper and they were, her family was looking for it. There was cases like court cases, you know, trying to figure it out. Her kids were trying to figure out and settle everything. Girl, they one day was moving the couch and they reached in the seats and her, her will was underneath a cushion. I can't.
can't believe it. So we really got to change stuff around here. We really got to like start having these uncomfortable conversations and maybe check out some of our past segments that we've done talking about death and having these conversations because those are also very important. And honey, that's your tea report. We interviewed someone from an end of life platform um, in the past. So yeah, you could check that out on weirdchannelq.com and our podcast on radio.com, the app. Uh, But coming up, the 2020 census has come to a close. We break down the crazy battle to get an accurate count in two minutes. 2020 has been a strange and unpredictable year for so many things, and the U.S. Census is no exception. A Supreme Court decision has allowed the Trump administration to end the census whenever it so chooses, likely as soon as possible. Why this is an issue? Well, Stephen Romalevsky joins us right now, who directs the mapping service at the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. So let's get into this because everyone was seeing the census ads everywhere. Uh, But do you think there's still uh, a feeling that people don't get why it's so important? Well, perhaps. Um, You know, it's definitely, like you said, it's been a crazy year for a lot of reasons. And the census originally, we're talking about the decennial census that happens every year. Originally, the idea was that the Census Bureau would contact households across the country in early March, information about how they can respond on their own, how they can fill in the census questionnaire on their own. They could do it online, they could do it by phone or mail back a paper questionnaire. And then that would be over, that self-response operation would be over by the end of April. Yeah. And then if any household do that, the Census Bureau would be hiring staff to go door to door and try to count people in person, any household that didn't self-respond. But then the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic hit and that upended everything. And it hit right at the exact time, yeah, March really, that the Census Bureau and all of the partner organizations, all these civil rights groups and community organizations and business groups around We're planning to do a huge public relations effort and education campaign to explain why the census is important and why you should self-respond. And when the COVID crisis hit, all of that got upended and everyone understandably was totally focused, not on the census. (laughs) Yeah. This crisis and what does it mean to be quarantined and are we going to get the virus and all of that? And so that caused huge problems. Yeah, uh, St- Stephen Romalevsky joins us right now. We're talking about uh, the census and the struggle about getting those census numbers this year, specifically as Trump tried to end it early. Uh, Stephen works at the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. Um, experts have actually been warning for years, Stephen, that the 2020 census is underfunded to the mm. point that it could affect its accuracy. Is that something that you were seeing, like that this year's census could be one of the the least accurate ever? Well, I don't know about least accurate ever, but going into it, yeah. and I should say that, um, so we worked with of civil rights groups and philanthropic foundations supporting them to try to get the word out about the census. And our role in this was to try to analyze and visualize where people were self-responding, where they weren't. So all of these stakeholder groups around the country can really focus their efforts and prioritize we did something similar in 2010, 
we worked with a similar coalition of groups and the maps that we created were very helpful because it really enabled people to make the use of their limited funding much more efficient. And, um, and it helped boost the self-response rates and, and that you know improved uh, the data quality. Going into the 2020 census, luckily organizations started planning much earlier than they did for the 2010 because we knew that uh, Congress had not funded the Census Bureau to do the planning that it needed, that the Trump administration was talking about, you know, causing problems basically with the census. And so that definitely was a concern. Thank goodness that these groups planned early and started this in 2016, 2017, as opposed to waiting to the last minute. Otherwise, it would have been a complete disaster. And still, Stephen, obviously it wasn't ideal. Uh, right. Let's get into the Trump administration's response. As you mentioned, they weren't supportive, uh, but then why did they want to end it whenever they chose? Like, it, it seems like it just, it's not helpful considering how important it is. Right, that's exactly right. So let's step back for a second. When the COVID crisis hit, mm-hmm. the Census Bureau decided, you know what? we can't successfully do like this in the midst of this pandemic. And so what we're going to do is we're going to extend the time frame through which people can self-respond. And so they mm-hmm. did that way through um, the end of July. <clears throat> and we'll push back the time that we'll send door knockers into the Hopefully by then in August, the pandemic won't be as much of a problem. And yeah. It'll be easier for people to go door to door. And that's what they did. And that also meant that the Census Bureau and the president has a deadline that Congress set of the end of December to take the result of it and give it to Congress and say, here's what the state population counts are. And Congress, you use that to figure out how many congressional seats each state gets. And Census Bureau said, you know, we're going to extend the time frame, which we kind of have to do. Congress needs to step in and give us more time on the back end and not require us to submit the counts by the end of December and instead to do it in April of 2021. And the, the president said, yeah, they need more time. They'll need at least that amount of time. And, um, and so that's what everyone was assuming that that was going to happen. Then all of a sudden president realized, well, I want to be able to control the numbers that I give. Got it. If I'm not real after December 31st, I won't have that ability. So I want to make sure that I, I, you know, will be giving the numbers to Congress by the people when I'm still in office. That was Stephen Romalevsky, who directs the mapping service at the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. Now coming up, what we learned about Trump and Biden from their town halls last night. That's next in two minutes. The dueling town halls happened last night. President Trump on NBC, Joe Biden, the Democratic nominee on ABC, and it continues the craziness of this election season. That's for sure. Here to help us fact check the both of them is Dave Weigel from The Washington Post. Thanks again for being here. Oh, it's good to be here. Thank so you. first, what did you think the difference were, the differences were between the two? There weren't surprising differences. Uh, and if you've watched other Biden town halls, this one got higher ratings because of can- canceling and replacing yeah. the debate on Trump's orders. Uh, if you watch, this is generally how he is. He's reined in some of his more loose tendencies. And also one thing that's just changed in the atmosphere 
for him is that when he was being asked about his record from the left at every debate, every town hall, he would get defensive and he could sometimes go run on. Uh, when he's talking about his policies versus Trump's, he's, he's pretty comfortable and he's still comfortable. You know, the press and I'm in the press, but is obsessed with getting an answer on whether he supports expanding the size of the Supreme Court. And he continued to have this sort of uh, I'll have to wait and see how the current crisis is handled before I have a position answer. I haven't seen much evidence that people have a problem with that. Voters, not reporters. Uh, so it was interesting that he kept doing that. And, the, and on the rest of his policy, it was funny. When people had to fact check it the next day or the, that evening, I should say, it was stuff like he was against, he mentioned his opposition to one, uh, one crime bill, whether it was a mistake, and he was referring to an older one than the one we always talk about. He's been there forever. Exactly. So, uh, Dave, you mentioned so many things. We have some of those clips right now, but let's uh, start playing this. This was uh, Savannah Guthrie was asking Trump about when his last negative coronavirus test was during the NBC (laughs) town hall. Here's how he answered. When was your last negative test? When did you last remember having a negative test? Well, I test quite a bit. And I can tell you that before the debate, which I thought it was a very good debate, and I felt fantastically. I, I was, I had no problem before. Did you test the day afterwards. of the debate? Uh, I don't know. I don't even remember. I test all the time. But I, I can tell you this. Uh, after the debate, like, I guess a day or so, I think it was Thursday evening, maybe even late Thursday evening, uh, I tested positive. That's when I first found out. Well, about back it. to the debate, because the debate commission's rules, it was the honor system. I mean, how hard is it to know when you got it? Like, it just seems like there's no direct response ever. Yeah, honestly, with this president, we know more about his psychology than it's probably helpful to to know about a president. Or probably healthy, I guess, for us to know. I mean, this is uh, his attitude is that he is very defensive about his health. Uh, He really despises weakness. He despises sickness. And he's this is I think he's the only man on the planet who feels this way. But he's resisted. Uh, talking about his own illness, unless he can talk about it in extremely, extremely masculine ways, like how he beat the virus. There was actually, if you if you clicked on his website this week, the campaign website, for a day you got a splash video that was him as a boxer knocking the knocking the coronavirus so strange in the, in the corner. So he does that all the time, and the, the Biden response, um, not even a response, is the way Biden has operated is hyper transparency and hyper caution and. It is weird to watch that the president has seen how this is failing for him politically and just keeps going after it. Yeah. But, you know, he was he had his mindset and his and his ego before he ran for president. He hasn't changed. True. Dave Waggle again, is with us from The Washington Post as we dive into the town halls uh, last night. What was fact? What was fiction? What even went down? Um, I think the biggest debate that really probably took place was the one with Trump against Savannah. How do you think she handled it as a moderator? What are you seeing people talking about online when it came to that? Because I guess people were tuning in to see that drama. Uh, well, and it was drama again created by the president because the, the day before he had uh, he'd gotten the crowd to boo, not just NBC generically, but but her specifically. And she's not somebody, look, there are, there are TV hosts uh, who are known for at the end of the show or maybe the entire show looking at the camera and being very serious and being a little bit pompous. And Savannah Guthrie has never been one of them. Uh, so she was she was very tough. She was in, uh, she was doing what I think has always been effective with Trump, where you don't just have to pretend, well, that's the answer he's going to give. I'm going to do the next question. Uh, she was better yeah. at digging in for for details, details about the 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 mask. And he he gets defense. He gets very defensive when he's pushed, which makes you wonder why more people don't do it. I mean, I thought she she did a good job. It was just um, depressing that this was 
two two town hall forums instead of one town hall debate because I think yeah. him with people and a different in, in interlocutor who wasn't interrupting him might have actually been um, better for him than what he had last night. Yeah, so it seems like a lot of things coming out in the fact-checking um, were things that he's said and he continues to say, which is surprising, that his team wouldn't be like, don't say that. That does not work for you. So let's go through some of those things. You mentioned the mask, him saying how a statement came out from the CDC that 85% of people who wear masks catch it. Uh, yeah. She called him out on that as well as the statement, we were expected to lose 2.2 million people, maybe more. We're at 210,000 people. It's a good job. <laughs> uh, no, a- absolutely. And he, he, he is a very boosterish about what's been a very terrible record. And every time he gets into this fight, it's bad for him. It's happened in the debate too. Remember the, the initial Trump response to the debate was that because he was more loud and aggressive than Biden, that he, he probably won. And it actually, it's not been good because the substance is reminding people that they really don't like the way he's, handled the pandemic. I mean, the, the pattern of this campaign, you even saw it this week, right? This wasn't really a, a hot topic of the debates, but or at the uh, town halls, geez, <laughs> the town halls we had instead of debates. But uh, the Trump campaign really promoted this uh, New York Post story based on what appeared to be hacked emails from Hunter Biden um, that it is very hard to find people caring about it. It's very hard to decipher why these matter. I mean, it was at most finding yeah. that Joe Biden was introduced to a guy once. And the, the Trump response to everything has been that coronavirus is, is a slog and it's boring and he's tired dealing with it. So what's, yeah. what's the new controversy that can captivate people and get them distracted? Exactly. Uh, it's been really unsuccessful because everyone's really worried about the coronavirus. That's true. Dave Weigel, thanks again for being with us. I don't even know what yeah. we learned, but this is uh, continues <laughs> to be crazy. We appreciate it. No, happy to do it. I'll be here. Thanks, guys. Again, Dave Weigel is from the Washington Post. Now, coming up, the emotional message John Legend shared with his wife, Christy Teigen, following their public miscarriage. That's next on our Yaz Queen of the Day. We're wrapping up the show with our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yaz Queen. Now, we had to share this performance that John Legend did at the Billboard Music Awards this week. It was emotional and inspiring in honor of his wife, Chrissy Teigen. As many of us know, after days of hospitalization due to complications with her pregnancy, she shared heartbreaking news on social media two weeks ago, revealing that she and Legend had already chosen a name for their son, Jack, and they lost that son. Uh, So that was really hard to witness, and it was everywhere. And now here's the performance that he dedicated to her. This is for Chrissy. Oh, yeah. We got a good thing, babe. Whenever life is hard, we'll never lose our way. We both know who we are. Who knows about tomorrow? We don't know what's in the stars I just know I'll always follow The light in your heart So, of course, uh, yeah, this performance, it was live on the Billboard Music Awards. He then shared it in a tweet where he included, by the way, Ryan, um, a lot of, what it's called, like where you, you tweet a bunch of things at once? Like threads? A thread. Yes. He had a thread where yes. he, he said this among, amongst a lot of other things. He said, I'm in awe of the strength you've shown to the most challenging moments, of course, uh, referring to his wife. What an awesome gift it is to be able to bring life into the world. You've experienced the miracle, the power and joy of this gift. And now we've deeply felt its inherent fragility. Mm. You now, know, all the feels. 
I, 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 one, I love that he's such a good husband, such a good partner in general, just there for her. And, oh, yeah. Um, but I, I do wonder, because I don't think we talk enough about it, and I don't I don't think this is a time to be centering men, but I do uh, think it is important to acknowledge, like, I'm hoping that he is, you know, taking care of himself as well, because ju- he's going to be just as affected. Um, you know, yeah. it, because he lost his child as well. And so I'm hoping those conversations are being had and, and they're just That's being true. there for each other. Cause I, we don't, you know, men already don't talk about their feelings enough. And, and especially when something traumatic like this happens, I'm just hoping they're taking the right steps and resources, um, to better their family and themselves. Yeah. For both of them and their relationship, it could be really hard on a relationship as well. Mm-hmm. So we're sending them both lots of love and just what a beautiful song. I was like basically crying while I, I was watching it's this. It's so much. To it's, be honest. It's rough because he, what, he, he's beautiful, like his, his music is so beautiful and his voice is so beautiful. Oh yeah. And then to know the backstory and how just transparent they've been, like mm. people don't have to be that transparent. Like I know we are transparent here on the show, but even then that takes a lot, right? And and just to know that everyone knew in real time that what happened, it that's rough. Yeah, so a lot of goals over there in terms of um, dealing with a hard situation with so much courage and fearlessness as well as just being vulnerable, something we can all really learn from. So that does it for today's show. Yes. Uh, But we hope you have a great weekend. Give yourself some self-love, please, because you deserve it. And coming up next week on the show, we're going to be playing that interview that Ryan did with the one and only Paris Hilton. Ooh, you should check it out. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Because guess what? She teased that there's going to be a possible uh, The Simple Life reunion. And is Nicole going to be involved? You got to find out. Tune in. Love it. We are right here on Channel Q, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern weekdays. Just a reminder. Also, we post everything as a podcast, FYI. So join our podcast family. Just go to the radio.com app and search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. See you Monday. Have a great weekend. Bye, y'all.